Welcome to the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services In Conversations with podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Welcome to UBS On Air. My name is Judy Spalthoff, and I have the pleasure of leading the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. Part of this is working with our clients and their families to help them define their shared values. These principles tie the family together for generations. It can act as a guiding light for family philanthropy, business decisions, personal concerns, and much more. One family that has truly mastered the art of upholding their principles and values is the Guggenheim family. And today, I'm so honored to be hosting Peter Lawson Johnson for a discussion. Peter Lawson Johnson II is the Managing Director of Guggenheim Partners. He's also the Managing Member of the Kane Hoy Land and Timber LLC, a real estate development business in Charleston, South Carolina. Peter is a Managing Member of Guggenheim Brothers, a Director at the Harry Frank Guggenheim Foundation, and a Trustee of the Solomon R. Foundation. That's not enough. He is also a director and vice president of the Elgabar Corporation and a former director of the Daniel Island Development Corporation. He also received a BA from Trinity College and a master's in real estate development from Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture and Urban Planning. Phew! That's a lot, Peter. You're an impressive guy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so, so much, uh, Judy, for that wonderful in- introduction. And I'd also like to thank everyone at UBS for the tremendous partnership that we both, uh, uh, both Guggenheim Partners, which is our investment firm, and the Guggenheim Museums enjoy with UBS. It's it's a it's a huge honor uh, to to work with you, work with you all. Well, the sentiment is returned. Thank you so much for the for the partnership. We've done some great things together, and I know we will continue to do great things. Um, so, Peter, let's just dive in. So, your great grandfather, Solomon R. Guggenheim, once said, "I wished others to share my joy." It's a pretty incredible statement. Um, but this statement shared his decision on making his important collection of modern artworks available to to the public through the foundation and the museum, the very very impressive museum he built. Um, growing up, how were you encouraged to learn and participate participate in your family's philanthropic activities, and when did that start? Well, in, in terms of my great-grandfather Solomon's quote about wishing others to, to share his joy, I think this became a practical issue for him. You know, Solomon, his wife Irene, <clears throat> and Hilla Ribe loved meeting the modern and contemporary artists of their time and, and collecting their works. And just so you know, Hilla was an artist herself, and she was also an art advisor to Solomon, and she was also the first director of the Guggenheim Museum when it opened up. But, and so Solomon's collection grew, and he needed to find a home for, for all these works, and what were his options? And there are many collectors that purchase art and either hand their works down to their progeny, or in many cases, they donate the works to an existing museum, or they just sell at auction and, and take the money. But I think to a certain extent, Solomon thought it odd uh, to have these modern and contemporary works exhibited in a, in a traditional building. And I, I do want to say that the family has always embraced what I refer to as a formula for success. And, and this formula 
essentially believes that the best way to achieve success in any endeavor is to always try to identify and engage the, <clears throat> the best, absolute best talent. Um, and once you have this person or team of people, to really challenge them to be innovative and creative in building their, their product or service, you know, to a higher standard. And finally, you know, to stick with it and to persevere. So, you know, knowing that he had the financial resources to, to build a museum and a massive collection of works, you know, why not share with the world? You know, why not commission an innovative architect to design a contemporary structure? And as you know, Frank Lloyd's right, Frank Lloyd Wright's design was, was very controversial at the time. However, I, I now think it's, it's fair to say that the Guggenheim Museum is one of New York's you know, most esteemed cultural institutions and, and recognized landmarks. <laughs> what, 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 some, what some people might not know uh, is that it took Frank Lloyd Wright 16 years and 700 designs from first being commissioned by Solomon to final construction of the building. And, uh, uh, you know, this is in many ways the definition of per perseverance. But anyway, um, I'm also told that it's, you know, it's one of the most photographed buildings in the world. Um, in terms of growing up and how I, I was encouraged to, to learn and to participate in our family's philanthropic activities, and when, when did it start? <laughs> I, I have to admit, it, to admit that it started late for me. Um, I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do after graduating from college. I, I thought I wanted to make a career in the oil and, and gas business, and I knew I had to start at the bottom and work my way up. So I worked as a roughneck in the Yukon Territory in Canada for three months on a work work visa on the drilling rigs, and then I worked I, I worked on the drilling rigs in the North Slope of Alaska for a year. And this, this is, North Slope is, you know, the way north of the Arctic Circle. And I can remember one day where it was negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit with a wind chill of negative 130. And however, I do need to be candid here is I never actually saw the temperature gauge, but it was relayed to me by other people that I, that I worked with. But, and there obviously, you know, in the winter, in the dead of winter, it's dark all day and all night and, uh, and, and dark. Most, most of the day, and in the summer, it was light all day and most of the night. But anyway, I then moved to Calgary, Canada, and worked uh, for a year in the safety department of a drilling company. I then spent a year in Oklahoma City in the oil field supply business. And I then decided to return east and, and attend graduate school at Columbia, where I, where I got a master's in, in real estate development. But it was, it was several years after returning home uh, when my father uh, suggested that I become involved with the Harry Frank Guggenheim Foundation. And I think he felt that I had uh, matured enough uh, to, to serve as a trustee. I hope he did. And um, this foundation was actually formed by Harry Guggenheim and his close friend, Charles Lindbergh, and General Jimmy Doolittle. Um, and the foundation, it studies dominance, violence, and aggression, and, and why men go to war with other men so often. And interestingly, you know, Harry served as a naval pilot in World War I, and 
he also uh, was a tail gunner in World War II when he was 55 years old. I think it's pretty incredible and shows what a, a great, true patriot he was. Um, he also won the Kentucky Derby in 1953, and um, he also served as uh, ambassador to Cuba from 1929 to 1933. But anyway, it was several years later that I was invited uh, to join the board of the Guggenheim Museum, and I've been, you know, quite active on both boards, you know, ever since. And and uh, although I'm not a family philanthropy, but I thought I'd mention this anyway. I, I did work for a Guggenheim mining company, and that when, that's how they made their money. So I worked for a Guggenheim mining company for a summer job. I was uh, 17 years old and worked in a diamond mine in Brazil. And uh, it wasn't really half as much fun as I, as I thought it was going to be. Uh, the mine was in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't know how to speak a word, word of Portuguese. And there were very, very few women in the camp. And so, you know, not a particularly fun summer for a for a seventeen year old young man. God, talking about throwing you in the middle of it, my goodness. That's <laughs> <laughs> like an after school movie. I can I can picture it now. That's like a it's a really interesting career to get you you know, journey that you've been on to get you where you are. I, if I didn't know the oil and gas <laughs> before now, I wouldn't I maybe wouldn't even believe you. <laughs> Knowing it just seems so far off. But that it's it's pretty incredible. Um, so your father was one of the trustees of the foundation and is sort of cited as being the one who took the foundation's vision to that next level. So I have two questions for you. One, in your view, what were those achievements that time that significantly impacted you? And tell us about your decision to be you know, involved in those decisions. Or how are you involved? Well, um, I believe you're referring to, in, you know, in your question, referring to my father's involvement in two very important transactions. You know, the first being involved with Peggy Guggenheim, bequeathing her amazing collection and museum to the Solomon R. Guggenheim Foundation. And I believe that this made us one of the very few or one of the first, quote unquote, international museums with multiple sites, but then my father's involvement in negotiating a deal with the Basque government to build a Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao, Spain, and that was pretty, that was a big deal, and uh, we were approached by the Basque government, and they wanted to know if we thought a museum could help bring tourism uh, to the city of Bilbao, and we, we essentially said yes, but we stressed the need to do something very special and very different. We identified and engaged Frank Gehry, and this was another example, at least in my mind, of the formula for success working again. Uh, this one man's talent and vision have fundamentally transformed a relatively unknown city into a thriving cultural destination. Uh, there are now some, you know, there are now direct flights from all over Europe going to Bilbao. Uh, prior to the COVID issue recently, they had uh, a little bit over a million visitors a year. And now there's even, otherwise like this, but now there's even an urban planning term called either the Guggenheim effect or, quote unquote, the Bilbao effect on how architectural wonders can, can help transform a, a city. 
And I think this led to other cities, you know, being interested in attracting cultural institutions to their cities. And um, I think it really, for me, in terms of how this impacted me, I think the success of this museum really revitalized and reinforced for me the power of our cultural brand. Um, it was it was quite remarkable. And my guess is, is that uh, the success uh, of the Guggenheim Museum, Bill Bao, influenced the, the Abu Dhabi Tourism Authority to develop their massive cultural destination called Saudi Island. And this initiative has five major museums being designed by five major architects. And, you know, almost the cultural destination, uh, you know, that of the world. That's their goal. Well, you guys were on, you've been on a roll, right, between Frank Lloyd Wright and Frank Gehry. I mean, renowned architects. It's really incredible. Um, and once COVID slows down and travels, you know, a thing again, um, Basque Country is very high on my list. So I can't wait to eventually get there. First yeah, um, thing, it's really remarkable. Yeah. Um, so from your own experience, um, how did this philanthropy bring closeness to your family across the generations? And, and to follow, what were some of the important factors in that? Well, I think it's fair to say that the foundations have absolutely helped keep our family together and the brand strong. Um, for example, I, I serve on the Perry Frank Guggenheim Foundation Board with my father, my middle sister, one nephew, and one niece. And we all live in different towns or cities, and we meet three or four times a year. Uh, so, and we also have two other distant relatives that serve on the same board. And on the Solomon R. Guggenheim Foundation board, I serve with my father and my eldest sister. And this board meets three or four times a year as well. Um, my youngest sister is a relatively new president of the Peggy Guggenheim Collection Board in Venice. And even a Peggy Guggenheim granddaughter, her name's Carol Bale, is now the director of the Peggy Guggenheim Collection. And, you know, it's nice because Carol attends all the museum functions and board meetings we have in New York. So it's, it's really wonderful for us to get together as a family, you know, several times during the year. And also, you know, many of these meetings are followed by cocktails and, and, and dinner gatherings. So it's, it's not all work all the time. You know, we have fun catching up as well. I, I do just have to spend a moment. I just have to tell you how enormously proud I am of my father uh, for the leadership that he has provided over the years and continued to, continues to provide at age 94. He's still very, very active. And uh, I'm also super appreciative and proud of the great job all three of my sisters have done and continue to do uh, to protect and promote, you know, the family brand. Um, so I think, you know, these foundations absolutely bring us all together. I think with a, with a shared, with a shared mission and a shared duty. And I, I should also mention that our immediate family meets periodically on what we call a family council. And this family council has a mission statement, which in general states kind of the following that we recognize that we have a shared stewardship responsibility to manage the brand. Uh, this stewardship responsibility includes our businesses and foundations and our communities and our family, obviously. 
but it, it also states a goal to work together to carry on these traditions, core values, and goals of the family. And it states a commitment to continued personal and professional growth, you know, basically through education and family gatherings and, 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 and to support other people's growth. And it also provides, you know, for the opportunity, I guess this is important, it provides for the opportunity to be engaged in family businesses and philanthropies if qualified and if interested. However, you know, there is no obligation to be engaged in, in family affairs, really just a, an obligation to be respectful of the brand. I'll add a couple other details to this. We also have a family code of conduct that it, it, it articulates, I guess, best word, the tone of communications um, and expected conduct, conduct, you know, towards family, colleagues, employees, or clients, you know, to all people, really, uh, um, you know, that we will operate professionally, openly, and, and with, you know, with mutual respect, uh, that we'll be honest, forthright, and courteous in our, in our dealings with each other. And that we, you know, we will be effective listeners and respect diverse opinions and that we will be prepared and going down quite a detail here, but, but that we actually will be prepared, uh, you know, punctual, willing to participate and meet deadlines. And, and uh, obviously, you know, a, a sincere commitment to try to encourage love and empathy uh, within the family. So I, I think it's fair to say again that we care a lot about protecting and growing the Guggenheim family brand. However, I should probably point out a couple of things here that, you know, at the end of the day, it's almost impossible to actually control a family brand because there's so many people involved with it. But the best that you can actually do is to try to kind of guide and influence. And I think we have tried and done a decent job at, at you know, try to guide and influence our family brand by providing vision, uh, you know, ad adhering to our core values and, very important, identifying and engaging enormously talented individuals to help us. Well, I would say you've done more than a decent job. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot that our listeners and other families can learn, right? Like this, none of this happened by the good job that's been done and, and the Guggenheim name is not by happenstance, right? It's, it's lots of hard work and commitment to it, as you just laid out um, through the family council and the mission and all that. It's incredible. So um, what, so just getting a little bit more personal, what's your vision for the family philanthropy and the impact that you would like to achieve? No, I wish I had great answers for you here, but <laughs> uh, as far as my personal views about the two family uh, foundations that I'm involved with, which again is the Harry Frank Guggenheim Foundation and the Solomon R. Guggenheim Foundation, as mentioned, the Harry Frank Guggenheim Foundation gives grants to scholars to research, the key word there, research, dominance, violence, and aggression. And our focus has always been on research. And we have quietly been doing you know, this work for almost 50 years now. But I... And as well as other board members, because that's the best way to, it's not just me, it's myself as well as other board members, would like to see our efforts, you know, focus a bit more on sharing the information, this research, with policymakers. Uh, it would be great at some point to see our work, you know, really start to, to help create a less violent world. Um, 
However, uh, I, 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 you know, to be honest, we've been we've been making pretty good, you know, making progress in, in, in this direction for some time now. It's not new, and I think we're doing a good job. Uh, with respect to the Guggenheim Museum, I think we do amazing work. It, it has been very rewarding to see our expansion in Italy and Spain. I'm a strong believer that art and architecture can help bring cultures together. And fortunately for our family, UBS shares the same view that art plays an important role in our lives. And let me explain that a little bit. You know, uh, one of the greatest examples of that of that point is the work that we have done, the museum in this sense, with UBS. We had a program called the Guggenheim UBS Map Global Art Initiative. And it was in April of 2012, the Guggenheim Museum and UBS announced a five-year collaboration to chart creative activity and contemporary art from around the world. And again, at least in my view, uh, this is essentially another search for talent. Um, it's bringing together art, artists, curators, educators, and thinkers across three regions, first being South and Southeast Asia, second being Latin America, and the third being uh, Middle East and North Africa. And this includes a program where it's offering curatorial residences, residencies, I guess a better word, where talented curators are selected and invited to spend two years in New York to kind of share their ideas. Um, it also included in international touring exhibitions where all the art that was collected over this time um, was first exhibited in the New York Museum, but it then traveled to Hong Kong, Singapore, Mexico City, London, and Milan. And it's really offering artists a global platform, you know, for sharing their work with, with diverse audiences. So I just like to say that that our family, and I need to also include uh, our museum director, Richard Armstrong, who I talked to yesterday, um, would like to express, again, our enormous gratitude for this collaboration with UPS. It was a huge success. It was fun. And if you, your question of what else you'd like to see us do in the future, I'd love to see us continue to do more of this type of collaboration. It was really spectacular. And I'd like to see also the Guggenheim Museum in Abu Dhabi get built. Um, it's been you know, delayed, but I think the facility, uh, this facility will also really help bring cultures together. Um, and it, you know, it has been delayed, but it's now basically on track to be completed in 2025. And uh, <laughs> maybe even another Guggenheim Museum somewhere or an expansion in my life. I think that would be fun as well. Mm -hmm. I wonder where. I now I have like my mind going. Which city is next? My goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to talk about that offline. Um, yeah, thank you for the for the for the plug of the the map exhibit. That was something we were all you know collectively proud of, and I think um, made a really big impact in, in, in the world of art. Um, and we are also lead sponsors of Art Basel, and I got the email today that they're proceeding with Hong Kong. So it looks like things in the art world are are starting to come around. So we're really also, we share the passion in trying to um, bring more art to the to the masses. So this is great.
Um, so, okay. So you've given us so much wisdom, right? I almost feel bad asking this question of asking you what your final words of wisdom uh, for families uh, who might be listening, who want to engage on some legacy planning or go, go on a legacy planning journey, if you will, but don't know where to start. What advice do you have? If it's okay, before I share the, the limited advice I have, I would like to share with you, you know, an interesting observation, I guess the best word for it, that has occurred in our family between our businesses and philanthropies. And I, I call it uh, the, you know, the virtual circle. And what I mean by that is, in our family, it was the mining businesses that really created the wealth. And this wealth led to the formation of several foundations, some of which I've just described. But uh, these foundations have helped build, as we've been talking, a global brand. And new businesses benefit and prosper from this global brand. And I think what's really cool is that now these businesses materially support philanthropy again and even support the museum. So I think that's, you know, boy, if there are other families that can make that happen, it's really, really cool. Um, one piece of advice I, I would be is to focus you know, in terms of starting out would be to focus on the legal structure. Um, there have been examples of quote-unquote, family foundations uh, in the U.S. that have been formed and no longer have any family members or, or family representation. Um, some of these even refuse to admit uh, family members. So this, this is a dangerous situation because, you know, the foundation administration uh, you know, can make decisions and take actions that are directly opposed uh, to the position or perhaps the views of, of the family. Um, and what we did at the Harry Frank Guggenheim Foundation was we established what we call a members committee and that it is comprised exclusively of family members and trusted close friends to the family. And the sole responsibility of this members group is to elect or terminate regular board members. Consequently, you know, if there is an ever a, if there ever is a board member that is not representing the family responsibly, we, we can terminate their their service. Um, however, I, sh I should say that we've never had to do that yet, but it, it's a nice thing to have, so you just know you have family control. Um, I guess a, you know another piece of advice would be to follow your passions and experiences. You know, many donors fund education because they attribute their success and good fortune to schools or teachers they've had. You know, some fund medical research because they have had loved ones or friends, you know, fall victim uh, of a disease. And some fund hospitals because they were treated or cured. But, you know, Harry Guggenheim, he formed his foundation because he served in two wars and experienced too much violence. Solomon, you know, he formed his foundation because he loved art and wanted to share it with others. Um, and then there's the John Simon Guggenheim Foundation that was formed because John Simon loved the arts and the sciences. And just a couple cool points to mention here is that there have been 420 fellowship recipients from this foundation that have received Pulitzer Prizes, 179 that have gone to receive National Book Awards, and 112 
fellowship recipients that have gone on to win Nobel Prizes. So that institution is very good at identifying talent. And then there's the Daniel Guggenheim Foundation. Was formed. He formed his foundation because he loved aviation and wanted to contribute to its future. And he was quite successful. He developed instrument flight, uh, developed the first passenger airline, and funded uh, Robert Goddard. And there's some 500 patents to the Saturn rocket system that are owned by Goddard slash Guggenheim. And I think finally... Uh, the, the real, you know, advice is to identify and engage talented experts uh, as, uh, as all our audience already has done with your UBS advisors. They're very, very talented people, and we've enjoyed working for them. And I'd just like to close maybe and just say, and Judy, you know, enormous thanks again uh, for all your help and for being such a wonderful partner uh, to work with. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my advice, I'll just to tack on, is just start the conversation. Start, you know, whether it be your financial advisor or someone else. Um, and of course, we in the Family Advisor and Philanthropy Services team, this is what we help our clients with. We, you know, going from zero to something is, is no easy task. And it's just it's start having the conversation. Start with but like you said, the structure and your passion and, and just get, just, just start, right? <laughs> um, I'm going to do it. Just start. So I, and it was also just such a joy to spend time with you. And every time we have a conversation, I hear in your voice, right? I hear you smiling and I hear the incredible amount of pride you have to be a part of this incredibly special family. So um, it's always just a pleasure to spend time with you. And it's always, you know, fascinating to hear your story and hear firsthand how your family's uh, innovative and entrepreneurial spirit has helped build such an incredible um, story and legacy. So thank you so much again. Thank you to Guggenheim for the partnership. Um, and, and until next time. All right. Again, enormous thanks. You're wonderful. <laughs> thank you. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at ubs.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.